very brief announcement before I get going, and you're going to want to clap, but don't clap too loud because uh, I wanted to announce that uh, Nikki and Daniel are here with six-day-old Landon. So they're back there, so politely clap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm already putting him to sleep uh, with my words, so that's a good sign of things to come. But uh, rejoice with them and, and go say hi and uh, meet, meet Landon there. Good. Uh, turn your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. It's crazy to think we're in the last chapter of Philippians. We'll be here for, for a couple weeks, but we're almost done with our study of the book of Philippians and just working through the book, working to see what, what God is saying in his word. Uh, if you're using one of the chair Bibles... It'll be on page 982. Isaac, go ahead and throw up that first slide already there. Chapter 4 begins with this verse. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved Paul is beginning a new section. He's closing up the book. He's almost to the last chapter. And this verse, this verse 1, sets the stage for um, the entire chapter 4. And he's going to give these these very everyday parts-of-life commands. But we need to understand the context of these commands. They're going to be quick, they're going to be short, but they're going to be life-changing because they come from God's Word. But in this opening verse, we're going to see two major themes of the book of Philippians and why he gives the commands that are going to follow. So first, I want you to see Paul's love for the believers. Therefore, my brothers... The term of endearment to talk about your fellow believer, whom I love and long for. Paul misses the Philippian believers. He longs to be with them. He loves them deeply. He calls them my joy and my crown. We, we talk about this, a phrase in English would be my pride and joy. You feel the love that Paul has for them, that he, they are a source of joy for him, and he is like a proud father with them, his children. And he ends the verse by calling them my beloved. Paul has a deep love for the Philippian church. And he's going to say this because he is going to confront them in their daily lives. And what they needed to hear and what we need to hear from God's word is that every command that you see in your Bible is given to you out of God's love for you. And you need to know that that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are his joy and crown that you are his beloved. And that when he speaks to you out of his word, especially when it's to change you and to change me, that it is because of his great 
love for us. It is because of love that we have the commands that will follow in chapter, chapter 4. And just as a parent wants what's best for their child, so too Paul wants what's best for the Philippian church and then for us today. But along with this love, and again, out of his love, there's a call for perseverance. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Because he loves them, he wants them to finish. He wants them to get to that finish line of heaven that we have seen throughout the book of Philippians. And the commands he is going to follow with are the tools they need to persevere in their faith. Because you will want to give it up. You will want to do with what is easy instead of what is right. And so he said, stand firm. Don't give up the race. Don't quit before the finish line. And here are the tools you need to finish the race. And this morning, we're going to see the first tool. The first tool that we have to run to the end. And that tool is living at peace in the body of Christ. That tool is building the unity of the body. And so our big idea this morning is this. We persevere in following Jesus when we live at peace with our church family. So let's look at verses 2 to 3. Again, if you're following along your outline, you can see that we're called to persevere in unity. Let me read verses 2 to 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Here's what I want you to picture. The way that the Philippian church would have originally heard this is one, they would have heard it instead of read it. What would have happened is that Paul would have sent this letter with someone, we'll get to that in a second, and he or she would have read it aloud to the congregation. So I want you to picture yourself, and you can either be Euodia or Syntyche. You get to pick one. I don't know which one's better, but pick one that you like, and you're hearing this letter from Paul the Apostle, Paul the guy who started this church, and all of a sudden you get mentioned by name. (laughs) And you get mentioned with the other lady that you've been fighting with. So not only does Paul know about the fight, but it is now in sacred scripture, so we are reading about it 2,000 years later. (laughs) This is a good measure to help us act in a way we should because who knows, someone might write it down and other people will be reading it 2,000 years later. You've been warned. 
I pull that out because I want us to put ourselves in the shoes of Euodia and Syntyche. In that Paul has taken the time in a book of the Bible to talk about the fight they're having. It shows the importance of unity and peace that the church is called to have. Now let's look at this call to Euodia and Syntyche. First, I want you to see that there is a personal plea for peace. Look at the beginning of verse 2. I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche. The picture is of Paul turning to one and directly addressing them and turning to the other and directly addressing her. I want you to picture a picture that someone, you, two people you know are in conflict and you look at one and you say, look, I am pleading with you to be at peace. And then you turn to the other and you say, I am pleading with you to be at peace. There's a real personal tone to this. And again, Paul has already shared his love for them, that what he is saying, whether or not Euodia and Syntyche want to hear it, is out of his deep love for them. Paul is not trying to win an argument because every time you try to win an argument, you've already lost. But because he loves them, he, he has to bring this up. It is that big of a deal. And Paul tells them, he begs them, he pleads with them to agree in the Lord. Let's take a second and think about what that means. First of all, it's interesting, he doesn't just say, hey, get along. But there's something about who God is and their relationship with God that changes how they get along. So agree in the Lord. First of all, it reminds them that they have a relationship with God and that so does the other one. They have the same Savior, which means they had the same problem and the same solution. They were both created in the image of God. They were both sinners both by nature and by choice, and they both place their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. To me, one of the things that this is saying is look how much you have in common. You are both on equal footing. You are both sinners saved by grace. And and isn't that part of the problem when we fight? We set ourselves up as the saint and we demonize the other person whether through name-calling or just a lack of respect. But Paul's reminding these two women, you are more the same than you even know. You are both equal and that both of you have been saved, not because you were better than the other, but because of the grace of God. 
how much would it change our relationships in this church, especially when we have conflict, if we viewed ourselves and the other person honestly? Because we tend to forget that we're sinners saved by grace. And with the other person, we forget that they're sinners saved by grace. But if we viewed everyone here as a sinner saved by grace, it would change how we related to each other. And it would be another way that we bring peace and unity into God's people. The other aspect of this, agree in the Lord, it's a reminder that God is God and I am not. It's a reminder that Jesus is not only my Savior, he is my King and my Lord, and he wants me to get along, and so I better do it. (laughs) If I'm a believer, if I'm a follower of Jesus, he is also my Master and Lord, and, and I need to do what he says. And it's a reminder that there is an authority higher than me. Because I'm really good at being judge, jury, and executioner. (laughs) But it's a reminder to both of these women, they answer to God. And they need to do things God's way, not their own way. So they need to agree in the Lord. Next, I want to see in this plea for unity and restoration a call for mediation. Again, picture, picture somebody reading this aloud and you get to verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. The true companion there is most likely the guy reading the letter. <laughs> and what Paul is saying, and I want you to think about him reading this, and all of a sudden, he, you know, he thinks it's bad when Paul names Eudia, Euodia and Syntyche, but all of a sudden Paul starts talking to him <laughs> and gives him a job to do. And he is reading this in front of everybody, so everybody knows what his job is. <laughs> What is he supposed to do? Help these women. Help these two believers reconcile. Here's a truth. You will not always be able to fix a problem by yourself. Sometimes you will need help. Sometimes you will need a mediator to help you work together with someone. Here's one reason this is true. They've done studies and found if there is a third person in the room, people are much nicer to each other. Because they're being watched and they're worried about being judged by the other person. And so they behave better. Now, For Christians, we know there's always a third person in the room, and that's God. But there are also times to bring about reconciliation, we need another believer to come and assist in the process. 
And it takes humility to say, I need help because I know that I need to bring peace, but I can't do it. And there's, there's, there's a proactive nature to this where I need to go and I need to ask someone who I trust and love and who has maturity in Christ to help me fix the problem. But also on the flip side, we must be willing to help. We must be willing to be that third person who points the other two to Jesus and the peace that we need to have in our body. Because here's the easier way. Well, we'll just let those two fight it out. And hopefully both of them stay in the church. The easier way is to do nothing. The godly way is to help and assist. And to sometimes put yourself in a position that's not comfortable. But to sacrifice your comfort zone for the unity of the body. And so you look not only to your own needs, but to the needs of others. I remember talking with an elder at another church. And he had a conflict that that was in the ministry that he oversaw. And he had to ask his wife to meet with these two women who were volunteers who were having great difficulty. And so he asked his wife, would you be willing to sit with them and talk with them and help them understand each other? And after he did, you know what he said? He started thinking back to the previous conflicts the church had had. And he said, I didn't realize it before until it affected me personally how much we should have helped with those other problems. How we should have stepped in and been that third person in the room, but yet we chose to do nothing. And he didn't realize it till it affected him personally. And what Paul is saying to us is, don't wait that long. Don't wait till you're Euodia or Syntyche. <laughs> Help your brothers and sisters to live in unity and peace the way God wants us to. It's not comfortable, but it's right. And we need to be involved in the lives of others to where we can speak truth to them. This is part of the beauty of being involved in small groups or some of our other Bible studies that you can actually know someone so you can say to them, look, you need help and I would love to help you. And you can say to them, I need help, you need to help me. Too often we take the easier route and don't do what we need to do to help resolve conflict in the church. God is calling us to a higher calling, a better calling, a calling that 
builds the unity that was created by the Spirit of Christ. So he calls for them to be at peace. He calls for others to help. Now Paul is going to start reminding them. One of the things that they tell you when you do counseling, especially marital counseling, is one of the tools that you do is you ask the, two, the spouses that are fighting, you ask them to bring picture books. You ask them to bring in pictures of vacations, of holidays, of the good old days. One of the problems when there is large marital conflict is that we only remember the bad times and never remember the good times. And so one of the tools is to remember the good times through pictures and to show that there can be hope in many cases. So one of the reasons we have conflict is we've forgotten what's important. First thing that Paul reminds them of, he reminds them of two things. The first thing is a reminder of past ministry. Look at verse 3. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Apparently, these two women worked with Paul, worked with a guy named Clement and other people in the church to spread the gospel throughout their city. They were actively working together in ministry. He even said, side by side with me in the gospel. Why? Would he remind them of that? What does that have to do with them fighting? Paul is telling us that when we forget the mission of the church, that we are called to make disciples of all nations, when we forget that we are called to work hand-in-hand with our fellow believers to share the message of Jesus, when we forget the common cause to which we are called, we fight. In one sense, when you are involved in the ministry of the church, in whatever form that takes, you are protecting your relationships with other believers. Because you really build relationships with someone when you work with them. You really get to know them when you're working with them. And when you forget about working with them, when you want nothing to do with them, there can be no love for them in your heart. I was listening to the radio one weekend and one of the stations that I frequent has very different programming on Saturdays, and one of the programs was a pet advice uh, call-in show. I was like, why not? 
the only thing that I was getting on the radio at the time. So I was learning about how to care for pets I don't have. Darcy, this is not a time to ask for us to get a pet. Let's not go there yet. All right. But here was the problem. Lady had two dogs. Dogs were always fighting. They were friendly, but they'd, they'd fight and would just go just a little too far. And one would, would, would just fight a little too hard. And, and so they got out of that realm of play fighting. Okay, and so they're like, what do I do? The radio host asked about how much are you walking the dogs? And the lady admitted to doing some, but not a lot. And the radio host said, here's the problem. They have too much time where they're just focused on each other and they need to focus on something else. They need to smell different things. They need to smell different dogs. They need to interact with different dogs. And the problem is, is that they're only interacting with each other. (laughs) And so they're getting on each other's nerves. When we are not actively involved in sharing the gospel, when we're not actively involved in serving others in ministry, we're like those two dogs who are only interacting with each other. And we start barking. And so, Paul reminds them of past ministry to encourage them in present and future ministry as one way that they can live at peace. Because if we're working towards the same goal, some of those character conflicts go away because we're working towards the more important thing, which is sharing Jesus with people. And so some things become less important, and the more important things become more important because they're more important. When you work with churches that have huge amounts of conflict, one of the things you see almost 100% of the time is that they are not reaching out to their community. And because of this verse, that should not surprise us. And so one of the antidotes to conflict in a church is to look at different people to interact with people who don't know Jesus, who aren't a part of the church. And to not see our fellow believers as opponents, but to see them as co-workers and partners. If you view someone in the church as an opponent rather than a partner in ministry, is it any wonder you might have conflict with them? We are partners together, working together for the spread of the gospel. We are all working together to make disciples of all nations. We're not opponents. We're partners. And the more we realize that, the more we protect the peace of the church. The second thing Paul reminds them of 
is he reminds them of their same salvation. Look at the end of verse 3. Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In the Bible, one of the pictures that God gives us to talk about those who are his people is that their names are written in the book of life. And so if you are a believer, your name is written in the book. And so when Paul says, whose names are written in the book of life, he's reminding Euodia, he's reminding Syntyche, he's reminding the whole church that everyone who is a believer, their name is written in one book, and when your name is written in one book, you have one destination, which is eternity with Jesus in heaven. So how does this help us create peace? Number one, we must view our fellow believers as someone for whom Christ loved enough to die for. Again, this changes completely how we view people when we say, this is someone for whom Christ died. It just calms the anger. It cures the bitterness because we're focusing on who we are in Christ. But it's also a reminder that your relationship with the other believer is not disposable. When you have a relationship with a believer in Jesus, that relationship lasts for eternity. And while there are so many things in this life that are disposable, And with so many things, it's cheaper to just get a new one than to fix the old one. I know some of you, that really frustrates. We'll get through it together. But there is one thing that is not disposable in this life, and that is your relationship with other believers. Because your relationship begins now and goes into eternity. As as I heard someone once say, we might as well get along now because that would make for a long eternity. Because we understand that life is more than just this life, that life extends into eternity, we must work for peace now that will extend into eternity. Because if someone is my brother and sister in Christ now, they will be for eternity. And it gives us a humility to approach the person with whom we have conflict because Jesus died for them and our relationship will never break. So, let me close here with a couple applications. I think I've got six, just to make sure you have room, okay? First is this. When we have disagreements, 
many times it's because we have forgotten we are co-workers for Jesus. Again, don't view your fellow believer as an opponent to defeat, but think of them as a partner in sharing the gospel of Jesus. It's not like our legal system where you always have a prosecution and a defendant. It's very adversarial. That's not how it works. It's two people on the same mission to make disciples of Jesus. Number two, when we have disagreements, we have often forgot that we have the same Savior. Again, this idea of who am I in Christ? I am a sinner saved by grace. And so is the other believer. You know, we have to change how we think about other people. When I understand that a a person is a sinner saved by grace, I can be more patient with them. I can give them the benefit of the doubt. Because I understand my sin when I'm truthful with myself and how much I need a Savior. And they're in the same boat as me. And guess what? They'll probably have to show you patience too. I remember having this epiphany when I was in college. My friend, he, he was very particular about what one did with Coke cans after one was finished with them. As soon as you finished your Coke... He'd be like, aren't you going to throw that away? You're, you're going to put that just right back on the coffee table? I promise this is not me in the story, okay? <laughs> he was, he'd grown up, his mom was very particular about, you know, you don't leave a, a cup or a can because it might have like the, the water ring on there and, and all of that. And he was just very particular. And, and sometimes he would even help himself to help you to throw it away. Right when you got done, you put it down, <laughs> there it went. Drove some of us nuts. And then I realized this. I drive him nuts. Again, there's a humility in understanding both who I am and who they are in Christ. And that helps us to make peace. Number three, sometimes we need help from others to settle disputes. And you need to use wisdom to know, I, I can't do this on my own. And then the flip side of that is sometimes we need to help others settle disputes. We need to be a part of the solution. And if we're not, we might be a part of the problem. Number five, sometimes you have to be willing to lose. As I said before, and, and, and this is a common, common phrase said to married couples, if you're trying to win, you've already lost. <laughs> but there are times where we need to set down our opinions and we need to let someone else win. A good example of this is how we make decisions as a church. We have congregational votes. And sometimes... We won't be with the majority. And we're gracious when, when we lose. 
And so we, sometimes we have to be ready to lose out of love. Because we love them. And it's not, it's more than just, it's more than just, I'm all about getting what I want. And our culture would, would say that. Get what you can in the time that you have. Get what you want. But the Bible's different. And again, we, we can't just consider our needs, but we also must consider the needs of others. Lastly, we want to disagree like a Christian. It's not a question of if there's conflict. The question is when there's conflict. And will we disagree in a Christian way? Let me read a quote to you from one writer. But many disputes will not be resolved because those who are quarreling will neither take the time nor deploy the energy to study the scripture together. Where there are disagreements, argue them out. Take out your Bibles, think things through, find out why you are disagreeing, and be willing to be corrected. But in every case, identify what takes absolute priority and begin with that. Make sure you agree over the gospel. There is a hearty disagreement we can have. It's healthy. It's good. Let's disagree, but let's disagree in a way that honors Jesus by focusing on what his word says and by keeping our focus on the gospel. And so let's argue. Respectfully. Let's argue using God's word to show us truth and to give us wisdom. But we never lose sight that we are all recipients of the same good news. That Christ died for our sins. Friends, just as Paul wanted the Philippians to finish their race well. I want all of us here to finish our individual race as well. To stand firm in the truth. To to build the unity of the church. And to do that, one of the steps we're called to do is to live at peace and to build up the unity of God's people. We persevere in following Jesus when we live in peace with our church family. Let's pray. God, that we would agree in the Lord, that we would correctly understand ourselves as sinners saved by grace and that those with whom we have conflict are the same, sinners saved by grace. That we would persevere in the life of a believer. That we would run well and run to the end. And that to do that, we would live at peace with one another. God, give us the courage to lovingly speak truth. Give us the courage to assist others who are in conflict. And that we would remember that we are not opponents of one another, but co-workers for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.